well, 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 wonderful to be back. Thank you so much for uh, your love and care, for your partnership. And God is doing amazing things. Still, he's continuing to do amazing things through our ministry. Um, for the sake of those who haven't uh, heard me before, I'm going to give you a very brief of my uh, journey from Islam to Christ and then speak about mission. I was born in a Muslim family. My father had two wives and 12 children. We were all living together. Um, I was the one very much involved with um, learning about religion, memorizing the Quran, reciting it, and uh, doing some Islamic rituals. And after I completed my uh, high school, I entered university. In the university, I became a radical Muslim. And um, then after the revolution, uh, um, teacher of philosophy and also a politician, announced my candidacy for Islamic parliament. But by the time I became an opposition to the grand supreme religious leader, Opposition means death sentence so many times um, because in Islam, leadership have absolute autonomy. You don't criticize unless you have power. We had power, but he was the chief commander of the revolutionary army, and he started to get rid of his oppositions. I was one of them caught and put in a death cell with four others. All four were killed, but I was able to run away by the help of some friends who put their lives in risk and did something so I could be released temporarily and run away from Iran to Turkey. Turkish is my mother language, and because of that, I decided to do a doctorate course in Turkey, and that course changed my worldview toward Christianity. Christianity was introduced to us, the most immoral religion in the world, doesn't have any sound principle, but I was amazed there actually to discover Christianity was at the top of all other religions. And my so-called perfect Islam was the least of all other religions. And so that shocked me. And after that, God, with his amazing grace, opened the door for me to go to a church. I didn't go for Christ. I, go, I, I went there for my money because somebody took my money, a business partner, um, my $30,000 and all his money ran away to Germany. I couldn't chase him legally but I wanted to find a friendly way to approach him. I didn't know any friend of his in Turkey. But I remember one day that a group of Christians were coming to him. So that decided, that caused me to decide and go to their church. And uh, they promised me to find him. And that caused me to be continual in my going to church every Sunday uh, for my money. Boy, I found them amazing people in every way. Their relationship with each other and uh, their honesty 
and uh, their love for one another was amazing, honestly, uh, very amazing. They, uh, the respect they had toward one another, the respect husband had toward their wives. You know, a committed Muslim doesn't allow um, wife to come and speak in front of a stranger. They always want, you know, their wives to be locked uh, in their home. But one day I was speaking to a pastor, uh, the, to the pastor of the church, and then after a while, the wife joined, and then she took over talking, you know, to me. <laughs> and then she is talking, and the husband is watching her face and nodding in favor. I said, wow. The wife is speaking in front of a stranger, and the husband is staring at her face as if honey is dripping from her lips, and he's nodding in favor. Oh my goodness, we call that religion imperfect. We call our religion perfect, but how this respect comes from imperfection from infidels. I said, if this is infidelity, then that's so delicious. <laughs> so, so yummy. So they, they affected me in an amazing way. Their relationship caused me to be attentive to their words they were speaking. And I heard the amazing thing about God. I never knew that the God in the Bible is the personal God that you can have personal relationship with him. Gods in all other religions are impersonal. You cannot have personal relationship with them. That's why there is no salvation there. That's why gods are not functional there. That's why gods do not have love because love needs personality. Only persons can love one another. Impersonality means non-existent. You don't say, oh, there is nothing there, but that nothing loves. That doesn't make sense. So it really grabbed my attention, and then I had a dream. That dream was amazing. The following Sunday, I went to the church. I heard my dream from the pulpit. I was blown away, really. There, that dream, their teaching, my university study, all encouraged me to read the gospel myself. Gospel is an amazing God book. It's an amazing God philosophy, doctrinal, and relational book to convince you in every way. And this, today I'm going to give you some example how they are amazing. So I read the gospel, finished it for the first time, I discovered that gods in all other religions are man-made gods. They are not real. And I started to read the gospel for the second time. The love of Christ hit my heart, my mind in, an, in a mighty way. In a mighty way. I said, I'm going to give my heart to him. And I gave my heart to him and then brought my family 
my wife joined me, and the changes in my life also amazed her. She was terrified first, because it's terrifying for a Muslim, especially a lady, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you do that, there is a law in Islam, they take your ch children away from you, because children belong to Islamic world if you convert, if you change your religion. But with his grace, he protected us, and she also gave her heart to the Lord. Lord did, an, did amazing things in the life of our children, too. And you heard one of them a couple of months ago here. You know, he really came into my life in every way. In every way, either philosophically, doctrinally, and socially. And discovered that the only right definition Jesus has for love. All others are wrong. They do not have absolute love. They do not have committed love. Only Jesus has, it, has the right definition. Love must be unconditional. Conditional love is ugly. Have you ever espouses said to one another, honey, I love you so much, but 85%. <laughs> Can you dare to say, well, I'm going to exceed it to 99.99%. Can you dare to say that? Because that 0.01% is ugly too. That means, honey, I will love you with the depths of my heart for 364 days. Only one day I'll spend with somebody else. Come on, honey. Come on. That's almost 100%. You see? You see how mighty he is? He is mighty. The other religions and ideologies do not have that amazing value. Only he has it. This is only one example I gave to you. He amazed me. Well, if then you love someone 100%, then it is clear what your life is going to be. He loved me 100%. He took me as his beloved one. He even gave his heart for me. Well, he's also my beloved one. Logically speaking, I need to be ready for that. He needs to be in the first priority. And that's why I chose to speak for him, not to keep quiet. I have lost a lot of things. You know, nine times terrorism against me, but 
I always believed in his sovereignty. He protected me. I praise his name. Even he allows me to be killed, I'll praise his name. <laughs> because my dead body also is going to lead many Muslims to Christ. Now, I discovered that evangelism only makes sense in our God, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, suppose there is no one in heaven but God. Who is able to speak about that heaven but God? He only is able to speak about heaven. Because he created him from the beginning. He is the only one. He was the only one there. He is the only one can describe heaven. That's why he revealed himself to us to describe heaven for us. He manifested himself in Jesus Christ to reveal heaven to us. To touch our brains and hearts, our consciences, to make it clear to us what heaven is. So God's job in mission was to touch consciences, to wake people up to the glory of heaven. That's why John says we saw his glory. The word became flesh in John chapter 1, verse 14. We saw the full glory, the glory of the sun. He saw that glory. When you see that glory through the eyes of your conscience, you're amazed. You're convinced. And then you allow God to come into your heart because he's the best. Everybody is interested in having the best. Everybody. You don't take your money to go to a car dealer and said, say to the car dealer, I have come to buy the worst car. No, best. Everybody loves to have the best. You see the best, and the natural reaction is you want that best. You want the best friend, best family, best car, best society. You see the best, you open the door of your heart, he comes in, and the other guy rushes out because they don't like to live in one room with each other. They are op opposite. God comes, Satan leaves. Now God is with you. That God is the all-knowing God, almighty God, holy God. He's living in your heart. That's what Emmanuel means. He is here. The all-knowing God touches consciences because he is all-knowing. He has response to every question and challenge. He responds question and he calms down. He convinces people. And therefore, he prefers salvation instead of hostility and judgment. He prefers that. 
He loves to save people because he's able to convince people, touches the heart of people. So the mission of Christ I'm trying to speak about today, based on John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, Even so the Father sent me, I am sending you. That means we need to follow his model in mission. The way Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Father, send me to touch consciences, to wake up people, and I am going to send you to touch people's heart and mind and consciences and convince them. That's what he did with fishermen, uneducated men. He taught them in an amazing way, and a fisherman like John writes a philosophical book. You know, John chapter 1 is very philosophical, very powerful. The word, you know, God is the word. They are philosophical. Peter says, if anybody asks you a reason for your faith, be ready to give reason. And then amazing Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Let us commend ourselves to the consciences of people in the sight of God. To what? To consciences of people. Because God is not interested in blind obedience. He wants us to know him. Knowing is so important for a loving relationship. I hope you didn't have an arranged marriage <laughs> like me. You at least had time to know one another. Or at least you have time now to know one another in Jesus Christ and appreciate your life. That's the same with Jesus. He doesn't want the arranged Union. He wants you to know him. He wants you to help other people to know him. He taught his disciples to do the same with other people. Touch their consciences, no matter who they are. They are your enemies, your friends, or strangers. If you follow that, you're going to touch their minds and heart and lead them to Christ. Some years ago, I was speaking in a country in an area that is populated um, by Muslims. It was Saturday, I was speaking in a conference. An imam of a mosque, neighboring mosque, comes in the church and attacks me. That's their job, unfortunately. If anybody wants to speak about Islam, that person reveals Islam, that person must be killed or, you know, be threatened or his or her interest should be invaded everywhere in any way possible. So... That was the only thing he was able in that day to do. 
he attacked me, and some of the people in the church jumped up and immediately protected me. I asked him, sir, can I kindly ask your name? What's your name? And he said his name was Muhammad. Muhammad is the name of their prophet. I said, Mr. Muhammad, you're reminding my past to me. Sir, since you are so eager to punch me, I'm going to surrender myself in a few minutes to you, sir, and you can punch me as much as you want. And I wouldn't, I won't allow these people to come and protect me. But I need to ask you a couple of questions, sir. And after that, you're free to punch me. The first question, don't you believe that your religion is the perfect religion? That's what they believe. From childhood, they have learned it. They do not give you any reason for that. But Islam is the last and perfect religion. He said yes in front of people. Then I asked the second question. Sir, don't you believe that every perfect religion should have perfect wisdom? He paused a little bit and then said yes. I said, sir, I just want to make sure I got right what you said. You said that your religion is the most perfect religion and also has the perfect wisdom. Am I correct, sir? He said yes. I said perfect wisdom, sir, doesn't need punch. Perfect wisdom, sir, responds to every question, every challenge, every invasion in calmness with Wisdom and good reason, sir. Thank you for giving me time, sir. Please come forward and punch me and prove to these people that you're not following a perfect religion. <laughs> and he apologized me in front of all these people. And I forgave him. I said, you're forgiven, sir. But my words haven't finished with you yet, sir. I gave my email to him, got his email. We had six months conversation, and he gave his heart to the Lord. His, his story is 50 pages in one of my books. By the way, I've got my three book, books there, limited numbers. One of them, Christ above all, has this story in it. Our Lord is all-knowing Lord. We don't need war. We touch the hearts of every person. No matter hostile to Christianity, to Jesus, to us, friend or indifferent. We touch their heart. We need to, you know, prepare the ground for them to enter in a creative dialogue with us we absolutely touch their minds and hearts. There is, no, there is no doubt in that. We have a standard in our life. That standard is Lord Jesus Christ.
He has helped us to establish a wonderful culture for our own well-being and for the well-being of the world. That culture never leads to chaos. Every other belief, every other ideology in America leads to chaos. Everyone, put your finger on it and tell me, Daniel, what about this one? I'll tell you, I'll give you reason that every one of them lead to chaos. Either totalitarian beliefs like socialism or in different religions like New Age, Hinduism, others. They all lead to chaos. But we have a master in our life that he is the establisher of wonderful culture that never leads to chaos. Several months ago, I came face to face with, an, um, with a homosexual man. It was in a Christian meeting, he was there. He asked me a question and then other questions. What Islam thinks about homosexuality? I said, killed on this spot without judgment. You're dead. <laughs> he was scared. What about Christianity? I said, it's seen, sir. It's not practice. Would you please allow me to give you reason for that? He said, yeah, I'm here to hear that reason. I said, I have to ask you questions, possibly to give you, you know, some examples. He said, yeah, go for it. I said, do you believe in boundaries? He said, what do you mean? He, did, he was unable really to communicate, but I helped him to communicate with me. He didn't know boundaries. I said, what is this room called we are sitting here? He said, living room. I said, okay, it's not a bathroom. He said, no, it's a living room. I said, sir, you see how good boundaries are sometimes? <laughs> Imagine we were sitting in a bathroom now and communicating with each other. This is wonderful, sir. Boundaries sometimes are so wonderful, we need to have them. But sir, who is going to set these boundaries? That's my question. He said, we can do that. I said, yes, sir, we can do that, but it's going to lead to chaos. He said, why? I said, sir, I'm going to give you an example but not biblical and spiritual example, scientific example, because scientific examples are very clear. This is an example, a mathematical example. It's actually part of a statistic. It's called factorial and part of a statistic. I said, sir, suppose that you and I only are living in this world. 
Do you, sir, believe that you have some selfishness in yourself, like myself? I help them to understand. You know, we need to help people to understand. We don't give up. So he understood that no matter how good we are, still that self-centeredness raises its head in us in a clever way. So I said, sir, suppose that only you and I are living in this world. The history has proven that we are community people. We really need one another. So you and I come together and build a community. Because you said we can set principles, we don't need God, and we have selfishness, please let me know how many chances are there for us to, to disrespect our own set boundaries because of our selfishness. He said two. You have one chance and I have one choice. So two, I said because we are again community people, we find the third person and that person also joins our community. How many options now, choices now for us to disrespect, to ignore our own set of boundaries? He said three. I said no, sir, it's more than that. We are three, each one has one individual chance, choice, and then cooperative choices. They two unite with each other against me, becomes four. We two against her becomes five. We two against her becomes six. So three people have six choices to ignore their own set of laws because of their selfishness. We get the fourth one, the choices jump from six to 24. Now, the formula, mathematic formula for this is this. Some of you know mathematics. I love mathematics. I was the number one in mathematics. So it's... The, the choice is, the, the formula is like this. Two people each have one choice becomes two. Three times two times one, six. Four times three times two times one, 24. Five times four times three times two times one becomes 120. Five people have 120 choices to destroy their community, to ignore the boundaries they have set, good boundaries, because of their selfishness and self-centeredness. Seven, six people become 720. Seven people takes you to 5,000. It's a little bit more than 5,000. I'm just keeping in 5,000 to calculate it easily. Eight, 
40,000, 9,360,000, 10,3,600,000 way 10 people can ignore their right. They can ignore their onset boundaries in 360 million, 300, sorry, 3,600,000 way. Isn't that just scary? I said, sir, you better follow Jesus Christ. Why? I said, because in Jesus Christ, I am dead to my selfishness. Everybody is dead. The only standard is living is the absolutely selfless, pure, just standard. Everybody is connected through him to one another. Then you can not ignore the boundary. Sometimes, sir, you do, but it convicts your, convicts your heart and you kneel down and you apologize to the other member of the family. But with your way, there is no any chance, sir. You better follow Christ. Sir, I'm not saying that you do not have that feeling. You have it. But for the sake of your own well-being, for the, your family, for the society, you need to follow a boundary. Sir, there are another, other reasons for that. Suppose there is no God, there is no Jesus there, sir. And you and I and everybody is free to set boundaries and write laws, sir. Now, when there is no an objective morality, sir, and morality is only subject to human decision, please let me know that if you want to marry a man, what is going to stop another man or lady to marry his dog or her dog? Sir, I've been studying the, if, you know, um, challenging approach of a professor in Europe that he has been fighting his government to get permission to marry his dog. What is going to stop us, sir? What is going to stop our community not to see people walking in the streets with their bride and bridegroom animal and to manifest immoral thing inside the street? Because animals cannot abide with the law. If they want to have sexual relationship, nobody is going to stop it because law Passes that, if you complain, you'll end up in prison, sir. What is going to stop it? Nothing. This is what really, sir, our human choices 
are going to lead us to chaos. This is what is going to lead America to chaos. You see how confused our politicians are in these countries? Because they have turned their back on Jesus Christ. They are confused. They do not believe in objective morality. They, they are ignorant. They do not think. They do not compare. Who are going to help this confused nation, confused politician? Who? You. You. Jesus through you and me. Jesus. We need to manifest his model, his pattern to the consciences of people. That's the only way. This is called mission. I can touch the heart of people. When I said this to him, he was amazed. He was touched. Even though he was unable in that time to show how he would really control his feeling, but he just hold his head like this. He said, oh my goodness. That's right. We are here to touch the heart of people. You need to prepare yourself. You're the light and salt of the world. That's what he meant. Go and teach them whatever I have taught you. That's what he means. It is not easy to become the fishers of men unless you touch their minds and hearts and consciences. Wake up, my brothers and sisters. That's why I'm touching the hearts of millions. Because he touched my heart and mind, my conscience in every way. Allow that. Go into the depths of the world. Come together. This world is not yours. You're a passenger here to glorify his name. Let that confidence in you come up to show his glory, that confidence. Because of that confidence, he said, take courage. I have overcome the world. I have every reason for every challenge of the world. That confidence you need to allow in you to come up, to manifest itself. That makes you more than conqueror. Confidence about your family culture. Confidence your organizational culture. You see, my heart is full. I'm, I'm just going to finish it in five minutes. It's just there are amazing, yummy things there we need to do. Your confidence about your organizational culture. This is an amazing culture. The church has the amazing culture for the world. No other organizations have the culture of the church. Only the church in the world has this culture. You are the members of one body. You see the one body? They are 100% with one another. And that 100% manifests everything of the best. That confidence is your victory. Let me give you an example about a lady, then I wrap up this. 
and musicians, if you want to come, you feel free to come. Some years ago, I was speaking about um, in, a, in, a, in an ex-Muslim you know, meeting in Germany. Um, all ex-Muslims from other countries and uh, from Europe, around 450 people. I was one of the speakers. Good conference. In nighttime, the people who were responsible for prayer were calling people to pray for them. Sometimes prayer took them to the, you know, to the midnight. In the fourth day, a young Iranian lady came to me and said, Brother Daniel, every night I have been going there to pray, but it hasn't helped me. I'm still painful. Can I talk to you? Can you give me some counsel? We set a time for the day after lunchtime so we could t sit together and talk. The day after we got our lunch and went in a corner, I asked her, what is your pain? Emotional pain. She said she was short and nobody loved her. So that was her pain. I, I think it's going to bless you short brothers and sisters. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, honestly, I cried to the Lord. I said, I don't know how to help this lady. This is very new for me. Please help me. I told her, so you're short and nobody loves you? You believe that? She said, yes. I said, look, I really want to help you, but I don't know how. Just give me an example. What kind of pain example? Tell me pain is created for you. Just maybe I would be able to help you. She said, my husband found a taller girl, beautiful girl, <laughs> went with her and divorced me. I said, yeah, that's painful. But I still do not know how to help her. And I praise his name. He helped me to ask her a question. I asked her, do you have any children as a result of this marriage? She said, yes, we have a daughter. The second question, is your daughter short like you? She said, yes. I said, seriously? <laughs> she said, yeah, Brother Daniel. Why? I said, that's not good. <laughs> she is short like you? And nobody is going to love her. That's very painful. It's going to be painful for you too. She said, no, Brother Daniel, I love my daughter. I said, you're kidding me? You love your short daughter? A minute ago, you said that nobody loves you because you're short. So you love your daughter? How can I, how can I believe that? She said, you're making fun of me, Brother Daniel, aren't you? I said, yeah. <laughs> Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I asked her. She said, yes. When did you come to the Lord? She said, a couple of months ago. I said, your prayer, sorry, your pain cannot be solved by prayer because that problem is not solved here. 
you're not clear about Jesus Christ in that matter. When Jesus Christ, Christ comes to you and wants to introduce you to people, he doesn't say to people, hello everybody, please pay attention, this is my short fellow. <laughs> the other one, you see the taller one, the big one, the skinny one, black one, white one. He doesn't say that. He says, I have crowned her. She is my princess. He is my prince. She belongs to heaven. Her minds and hearts are set on the higher ground. That's not the ground of disappointment. That's the ground of joy, happiness, courage, victory. When I was talking that, I saw the tears were getting down. And, as, you know, slowly she was praising Jesus. After I finished my talk, the first thing she did was to take her higher, you know, that, you know, higher heel shoes. And after that, there were other 450 people sitting on the table. She shouted with joy. She was calling upon all. I am a princess of Lord Jesus. I am a princess of the Lord Jesus. And everybody stood and clapping for her. That's you and I. Confidence is full here. That confidence is louder. That confidence touches people. That confidence is the mission. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.